Welcome to Victory Christian Center. You're about to hear from our senior pastor, Pastor Stefan Schlugel, as he brings a message on a Sunday service. You know, when Pastor Vanessa and I were in Bible college, uh, and uh, they talked to us about the presence of God there and the importance of living in the presence, and they used a term there uh, to, uh, called practicing the presence of God. Now, to me, uh, and of course, English is my second language. Uh, uh, practicing has two meanings, uh, uh, two slightly different meanings. One of them is when you try to do something uh, and, and you practice it, you, get, you practice it so that you get better. All right. Uh, but when, you, when you're really good at it, you know, they talk about a doctor uh, working at his practice. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, they're, they're, they're not practicing on us as such. I mean, they're really good at what they do or they're supposed to be because they've already completed their training. In fact, let nobody practice on me with medical things. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so we're practicing. We practice to get better at things and then we practice uh, that which we have learned so that we become more and more conscious uh, of it. And in this instance here, we are speaking about practicing the presence of God. Now, in recent weeks, uh, we've been speaking about uh, the subject of prayer quite a bit. Um, and um, it's been one of our focuses for a few weeks now. Uh, today, I want to continue on in that vein and, uh, you know, look into the Word of God that uh, teaches us um, to fast and to pray, and it also stirs our hearts uh, in this area. So I want to start reading from Psalm 16, verse 11. Psalm 16, verse 11. Uh, scriptures are in your outline, um, and they're also on the screen behind me here. <clears throat> Here's the psalmist um, speaking to God. He says, You have shown me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. All right, so we've got a wonderful scripture here. Um, it's a scripture that I like to quote a lot uh, because I like being in the presence of God. I like to draw on the joy of the Lord and on everything that is available when we are in the presence of God. So it says, in your presence is fullness of joy. Now, I just want to specify, and I don't want to get too detailed on that, but the Bible tells us that God is everywhere. But then the Bible speaks of the presence of God that manifests uh, and we become conscious of His presence. Um, and people say, oh, the presence of God in here is so strong. But actually, you can experience the presence of God out in the street as well if you practice it because you, you become a carrier of the presence of God. You're in the presence of God 24-7 rather than just visiting and coming back in and out of the presence of God if you can understand what I'm saying. Let me suggest to you that the need for us to live in God's presence is becoming greater and greater as we move further and deeper into end times. And uh, I'm very conscious that we are in end times. Uh, we are conscious of the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back soon. And a lot of the prophecy that we read in the Word of God in regards to what's going to be transpiring in the end times is going to be, it's like unrolled before our very eyes. And of course, there's more coming. Um, you know, the book of Revelation, uh, which much of it is future, uh, is actually not that far away, I would like to suggest to you. Um, and the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, it tells us that in the last days, Perilous times will come. In the last days, stressful times will come. And as times become more and more stressful, 
we need to more and more press into the presence of God. You know, they talk about storms that are going on um, in terms of, you know, storms, literal storms that are going on, but they reckon that in the eye of the storm, it's actually quite calm. And we can be in the middle of a storm uh, in life, but we can be in the presence of God and experience calm in the middle of, of it all just at the same time. So I want to just encourage you with some of those thoughts this morning and sort of weave uh, the whole aspect of prayer in because prayer, of course, is important for us to uh, move further and deeper into the presence of God. Now, the presence of God here, and again, it's in your outline. We've got a list of some of the things uh, that we can enjoy in the presence of God. And this is not an exhaustive list, but it's some of the headlines perhaps that are worth noting. Uh, Number one in God's presence is fullness of joy. And it struck me that, uh, you know, people that are constantly sad are clearly not in the presence of God because if they were, the Bible tells us in God's presence, there's fullness of joy. And some of us could testify of the fact that when we really, really become conscious of God's presence, there is a sense of almost being ecstatic in the presence of God. And the Bible speaks of, uh, you know, joy unspeakable and full of glory. And it's like, wow, you know, this is just amazing, you know. And, and, and of course, it's not, it's not always like that. We just learn to be in God's presence. We learn to be contained in God's presence. We learn to draw on the presence of God and on everything that God has for us. So there's fullness of joy. In God's presence is safety and protection. Uh, let me tell you that there's a lot of stuff going on in the world today with people are scared of this and afraid of that and so forth. But in the, God, in the presence of God, there's safety and protection. And you know, in Psalm 91, um, by the way, I would encourage you to learn Psalm 91 off by heart if you haven't already done so. Sometimes we refer to it as our, you know, insurance policy in God. It's got all these promises there. It's like a policy, if you like, of everything that God had promised in terms of safety and protection. It starts out by saying that he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High God, he shall abide under the shadow of of the Almighty. So it's speaking about being real close to God and being in, in His shadow, being in His presence, um, and then all the wonderful benefits that we enjoy uh, from, you know, from, from that moment forward. Um, so it speaks there about safety. It speaks there about protection from this and that and the other. It speaks about deliverance and healing. Uh, God says he will deliver us uh, and, and he will heal us uh, and, and so forth. So healing and deliverance is in God's presence. Uh, there's also great provision in God's presence. Uh, God is our provider. And as we become more and more conscious of who God is and conscious of his presence, we remind ourselves that one of God's names is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. God loves to provide for us. All right. Never be concerned about coming to God to request this and that and the other because God loves our prayers when we look to Him, um, you know, for provision, for healing, or whatever we need from God. He's our Heavenly Father. All right. And if your children come to you and tell you that they're hungry or something, you don't slap them about and say, you selfish little thing. You know, you're only thinking about your own self. You know, we don't do that in our. Loving Heavenly Father doesn't do that. He's just a good God, all right? Um, And in God's presence, there's freedom from fear. Uh, You know, we certainly live in times where a lot of people are very afraid and very fearful, 
of what's going on, afraid of the times, afraid of the virus, afraid of the economic situation, afraid of, of this, afraid of that. And then in Psalm 91, once again, we will not be afraid for the terror by night nor for the arrow that flies by day, nor for the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor for the destruction that runs at noonday. So it's speaking about not being afraid at nighttime, not being afraid during the daytime. All right? We will not be afraid, it says. Why? Because we're in God's presence. We're more conscious of His protection than we are of the dangers of what's going on all around us. Um, and... Uh, so there's all of these things and more uh, that we enjoy when we uh, live in God's presence. Um, and uh, I want to just read one verse here in Psalm 91, verses 9 and, and 10. You know, in Psalm 91, if you work your way through it, uh, and, in, and in my Bible, in my physical Bible, I've underlined three words that are very important in Psalm 91. It's the word because... And it's there three times. Because, and I'm about to read one of those becauses. You see, the promises uh, are applicable in our lives because. Because God says, because you have known my name, I will set you on high. He says, because you set your love upon me. And, and anyway, let me read verse 9. It says, because you've made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, and no plague shall come near your dwelling. That's a scripture that I quote a lot. I declare it. I wrap myself in it. I put it all around me. I got it on the inside of me. I meditate in it. I'm just, it's just tremendous, it's a tremendous uh, lot of confidence to me that if I'm in God's presence and I've made His presence my dwelling place, my, I live in that. You know, people are, are not unused to, uh, and we might have just made up a word, you know, being unused. Um, um, you know, we say we are used to, and then uh, people are not unused to visiting the presence of God, coming in and then going back out again. It's like, almost like being tourists, you know, like we visit places around the world. In fact, not much these days. There's not much travel going on. Uh, but people visit places. They like it. They enjoy it. But then they, they leave again and they go home again. Uh, but Psalm 91 verse 9 says, you, you've made the Lord your dwelling place. You live there. You're not a tourist there that comes occasionally and enjoys what it's got to offer and then go home again. You live there because you've made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you and no plague, no virus, no accidents, no calamities shall come near your dwelling. You know, when God and His presence become our dwelling place, we become untouchable to the enemy and to his attacks. Now, we're still in the storm. Don't get me wrong. We're still in this world. There's still stuff going on around us, but we're in a place where we're just, you know, people are falling apart, and we say, well, praise God, you know, for his goodness in our lives and, and so forth, and people can see the calmness in our lives um, uh, because we are so conscious of his presence. So we don't, we, we, we don't visit there occasionally 
we live there. Um, and uh, the Bible speaks about accidents and calamities uh, and different things that are happening. But, you know, in the, in, the, in the eye of the storm, so to speak, in God's presence, we become untouchable to the enemy. Let me point this out to my friend that uh, we're not talking about something, something theoretical. We're not talking about something that, you know, that's, that works on paper, but, you know, it doesn't work in reality. They talk about certain concepts and certain theories. What we're discussing here is not a theory. That's why we're talking about practicing the presence of God and learning how to come into His presence and learning to stay there. And if we go away, we take God's presence with us. We are conscious of His presence all the time. Book of James, chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, has a key there that uh, I believe is very much applicable to what we're discussing here this morning. It says, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So, of course, uh, we need to submit to God because resisting the devil and him fleeing from us will only work if we are submitted to God. All right, so there's one, there's a sequential thing going on. First of all, submit to God and, and then resist the devil and he will flee from you. And then it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. There's a song that we used to sing, um, and I'm not going to sing it because I don't want to embarrass myself in front of you. Um, but you know, it was the wording was something to the extent of if, if we draw nigh to you, you will draw an eye to us. Uh, and that's using old English uh, language out of the uh, King James Version. Um, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That speaks of two individuals moving together. God says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. Um, so that lets us know that we are not automatically close to God, even though we're in His family. If you're born again, you're one of God's children. But to be in God's presence is something that we have to consciously um, endeavor to, to practice um, and, and to do. It says, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. All right, so two individuals moving together, that's God, and, and us individually moving together. And as I was kind of uh, pondering on this and said, so what, what does that look like? Uh, uh, you know, it, it's kind of uh, the sense was that, you know, in John's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 44, and we won't turn there now, but, but Jesus says, he says, he says, no one can come to me except the Father draw him. So there's a constant drawing going on, that God is drawing people, uh, first of all, to Jesus. God's drawing people, and one of the reasons why we're praying for a greater outpouring of the Holy Spirit over our nation is because the more Holy Spirit we have out there in the community, the more of a drawing uh, effect He's exercising on men, women, and children to bring them to Jesus. All right, so as I say, we don't initiate anything. God's already initiated that. And if you're born again, you have responded to the drawing. You've come to Jesus, all right? And now you're in God's family. And if you're not in God's family yet, then please, 
what are you doing outside of God's family? You know, the Bible says you must be born again, otherwise you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. So respond uh, uh, to the drawing of God and surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Become what the Bible calls being born again. All right, so initially God draws us by His Spirit, and then we respond to God by drawing near to Him. And as God sees that we're drawing near to Him, He draws closer to us. So God begins this process. We respond, and as God sees us moving towards Him, He comes in our direction, and we meet in the middle. All right. Let me just give you a couple of uh, scriptural examples of that. You know, the Bible speaks about nearness in our relationship with God rather than a farness. It speaks about a closeness there rather than a distance uh, acquaintance. You know, God doesn't want to be our acquaintance. (laughs) The Father wants to be our heavenly Father, and then He also wants to be our friend. The Bible speaks about one that is like like one that sticks closer than a brother. All right, and so God wants us to be like real close. Now, the couple of individuals I want to highlight, one of them is Enoch. Uh, I'm just starting to reread the Bible again all the way from the beginning and work my way through it. And just the other day, I read about Enoch in the early chapters uh, of uh, of the book of Genesis. And then it makes an unusual statement. It says, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. All right, so, so Enoch was a man that learned how to draw near to God, and he walked with God. He had conscious fellowship with God. He was that kind of a guy that just knew how to come into, into the presence of God and never leave. He wasn't tourist there. He wasn't a visitor. He came into the presence of God, and he loved it there, and God loved his company. In fact, God loved his company so much that God said one day, before I go back to heaven, why don't you come with me? And God took him, all right? And, and, and Enoch was not. He couldn't be found, all right? Bit of an unusual situation because uh, the Bible says that it is appointed unto man to die once and then judgment. Um, and uh, But uh, there is one man that went to heaven in his physical body, and the Bible speaks about, about a couple of people coming back during the book of Revelation. There's a, a strong suspicion on my part that Enoch might be one of them uh, because he's still in his physical body. All right. Um, so anyway, Enoch walked with God, and then God took him. And all right, now that's the most extraordinary situation. So, you know, if somebody dies, don't say God took him. That's, that's not what, uh, what we see in the Bible. You know, people just die, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, so we don't blame God for people's death. And as I said, that's, uh, that's happened before. You know, a minister gets up at somebody's funeral and says, well, God took this little one. Well, no, God doesn't take people. He's not in the habit of doing that. It was just a, a single instance here in the life of Enoch where God took him. And the Bible says he was not. He couldn't be found. Uh, so this man knew how to walk in the presence of God. Another one was Moses. Moses is a, was a tremendous uh, individual in the sense that uh, the Bible says that he talked with God face to face. He had communication with God. Uh, he had such a close relationship when you, you know, consider you study the Old Testament, you read about the tabernacle of Moses that was that portable, you know, kind of building that, uh, that God got him to build. And, 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 and God gave Moses 
the dimensions of this whole thing down to the, you know, the last inch, if you like. He gave him the materials uh, of what was going to be used for building this thing. He gave him the building method. It's just an amazing deal. Like, you know, and, and Moses just had this relationship with God. Anyway, before all of that started, Moses was out in the wilderness. Uh, he had been brought up at the courts of King Pharaoh in, in Egypt. Um, and uh, you know, Moses made a couple of mistakes. He ended up killing a, an Egyptian guard uh, and his enthusiasm there to want to be with his people and so forth. So he, he, he says, oh gosh, if this becomes known, I'm in serious trouble. So he fled into the wilderness and he became a shepherd. Um, and while he was out there, one day looking after the sheep of his father-in-law uh, called Jethro, Moses saw a sight that caught his attention. There was a burning bush. Um, and uh, what was unusual about this burning bush was that uh, bushes burning in the desert is not an unusual thing, that sometimes bushes ignite because of the heat and because of certain conditions, and then puff, you know, you know, a while later they're burned up, but this one carried on burning. And the Bible says that it caught his attention, so he walked towards it. Uh, and as he walked towards, and of course we speak about the burning bush experience, where God spoke to him out of the burning bush. And, uh, and as he walked near, God says to him, he says, Moses, he says, take your shoes off your feet because you are standing on holy ground. And then he came into the presence of God and he began to, you know, God began to talk to him. He commissioned him about going back into Egypt. He says, go and confront Pharaoh. Tell him to let my people go and then take my people and take them out of Egypt. Take them on into the promised land. And, and talk about, you know, a burning bush leading to a commission of leading millions of people through the wilderness for that distance there. It's just incredible. Frank, you, can, you just never know what happens out of, out of one experience of coming into the presence of God. And... Uh, and just suddenly like, wow, you know, God just opened up a whole new chapter in my life. I wasn't quite sure what I was called to do, but now I'm sure what I need to do because God spoke to me. I've been in his presence. And Moses subsequently, as I said earlier on, he knew how to get up to the top of the mountain and to hear from God and come back down and instruct the people. And uh, as I he was just a guy that lived around the presence of God. In fact, uh, they even called the uh, tabernacle of Moses, they had another name for it. They called it the, the, the tent of meeting. Uh, the tent of meeting, they called it. And because God met there with, with Moses and with, with Aaron, the high priest, and with the people there, and when God's presence came, that's, that's where they met. But more often than not, Moses was up on the mountain coming into the presence of God and hearing from God. So what are we talking about? Well, God caught Moses' attention by setting that bush on fire. And it was an unusual sight. And as Moses turned and he ran towards that bush, he walked into the presence of God. Who initiated this thing? It's God that initiated it. But Moses responded. You know, this is like Moses, I believe he had a sense of there's something supernatural going on here. It's quite natural for bushes to ignite in the desert 
But then, poof, next minute they're gone. But this thing keeps on burning. So it caught his attention, and he went towards it. Friend, let me tell you, what was your recent supernatural experience? Because God does these things to get out, well, number one, because he loves us. He wants to get our attention so that we draw near to him and say, okay, God, what are you trying to teach me uh, in here? And, and what is this all about? Uh, and, and rather than just walking on. You know, it's interesting where Jesus was walking on water one day and his disciples were out in a boat on the lake and they were struggling and uh, they were rowing because the wind was contrary and the Bible says that Jesus is walking on water and the Bible says he would have walked past if they hadn't called out to him. So sometimes God gets close to us and he wants us to respond to the presence of God and to come in and say, God, what are you, what are you, what are you trying to tell me? What are you trying to teach me? What, 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 are you, what, what are you doing? I sometimes become conscious of God's presence, and I don't know how to describe this because words sometimes fail to, to, to give an understanding of a spiritual experience, but God gets on me and says, God, what? You know, I feel the presence of God. And of course, the Bible says that God lives within us, but yet there is a manifest presence where God comes on us and I become conscious of his presence. God, what are you doing? Lord, what are you trying to teach me? And sometimes God just wants to be there because he wants to be there. He wants to have close fellowship with us. But other times, God says, okay, seeing, seeing you asking, and then God gives us insight and revelation, and, you know, anything can happen uh, in that moment where God, you know, does a, a download into our spirit, if you like, and He gives us a revelation, He gives us an instruction regarding the future, and He gives us, you know, just another commission for, for whatever He wants us to do. I had quite a profound experience many years ago at a meeting, and again, I was in Auckland at the time, uh, I was in a meeting there with a minister that, uh, you know, walked sort of closely with God, and uh, somehow, uh, when he prayed for me, I went down, and uh, in fact, he ended up prophesying over me, uh, and in fact, there's a crowd of uh, two, three thousand people there, and when he finished preaching, he heads down, and he just aims straight for me, it's like, you know, why am I the first guy to get picked out, Lord? <laughs> you know, like I'm sort of, uh, I'm not lo never looking really for attention. That's sort of not one of my needs. I, I, I don't need attention. That's not something that I, that I need. And yet God sent this man down. He prophesied over me uh, concerning some things to do with our region here. And, and then I went down like a log. And, uh, and while I'm lying there, he moves on. He prays for other people. Um, and while I'm lying there, God sort of, uh, it's like a, almost like a vision, and I saw things. Uh, uh, I saw a big field. I saw a harvest field of wheat that was before me, and there was like in the middle of it all, there was like a, a, a barn that was set into the middle of this vast field and a whole area that had been carved out already in mold. And, you know, I grew up on a farm. I can sort of totally picture all of that, but this is something different. God's dealing with me while I'm lying on the ground, and he showed me the vastness of the harvest and the smallness of what's already been harvested. And it's so impressed upon me. It's like, God, you know, what can we do to reach more people? And how can we go about to send more laborers into the field and, and reap the harvest of souls? Because, friends, the day is coming. You know, I've said this before, but right now we're in the age of grace. And the door of salvation is open. But when Jesus returns, the door of salvation will close. He came the first time 
as our Savior. The next time he will come, he will come as the judge. And for those of us that are born again, we've already passed from, from judgment into life. You know, for us, there's no more judgment, and praise God for that. But what about all these other people? Um, and, and as I said, that kind of made quite a, an impression on me at the time. And, uh, you know, it's like supernatural moments can leave lasting impression um, and um, can stir us and motivate us. One day Moses said, I'm not quite sure how far I will go with this, but I kind of feel that uh, this is a, a message that needs to be brought to this house at this hour. Moses uh, talked to God one day, and when, uh, you know, Moses was to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, on into the promised land. And one day God's talking to, to Moses is talking to God, and he says, he says, God, he says, uh, you say that I found favor in your sight, but you've sent us up to go up through the wilderness. He says, Lord, I want your presence to come with us. And if your presence doesn't go with us, I don't want to go. <laughs> this is quite a profound statement, really, because Moses had been in the presence of God. He knew what that felt like, and he knew what the benefits were of being in the presence. He says, God, don't send us up there. Promised land and all, if you're not coming with us, I don't want to go. And, you know, certain places in the world we shouldn't go into without the presence of God. You know, there is danger in certain places. And Moses knew that. It wasn't going to be just a, a, a stroll in the, in the park, so to speak. You know, this is wilderness out there. This is like rough terrain. This is, uh, you know, there's wild animals. There is uh, scorching heat by by, by day, and there's freezing cold by night. He says, God, don't send us up there unless you're coming with us. And God says, okay. He says, I'll come with you. And God traveled with them, and he manifested himself in a cloud during the day and with fire at night. That cloud during the day, you know, sometimes you see pictures of how that's been drawn, and some of those pictures are quite impressive. Uh, um, really nobody knows exactly what they look like. But, you know, when you've got a cloud, when you're in the desert in the middle of the day, you're experiencing some shade, and that's something that they needed, so God was with them. He shaded them from the heat of the sun. And at nighttime, the temperature drops down uh, to sometimes below zero, and then it's freezing cold. So God manifests himself as a pillar of fire by night to give him light and to give him heat. Uh, I was talking to a man once that was a seafarer for practically his whole adult life. And he says that he was on an oil tanker going through the Middle East there. And he says, in that area, he says, you can't go out during the daytime on the, on the front of the ship there. He says, without thick boots on, he says, because the steel out there gets so hot, you could fry an egg on this thing. He says, it's that hot. And then at nighttime, it drops back down to below, uh, you know, below zero temperatures. And God knew all of that. Uh, and uh, Moses knew that because Moses had spent some time out in the, in the wilderness. And, and, and Moses says to God, God, unless your presence comes with us, he says, I, I don't want to go. And I think we, gotta, we ought to learn something from that, that we ought to be yearning after the presence of God and hungering after God's presence uh, uh, more than ever before. One day, Moses said to the Lord, he says, Lord, show me your presence. Show me your presence. Scripture uh, references in your outline. He says, Lord, show me your presence. Um, you know, Moses had, had varying degrees of, uh, 
of you know being in God's presence, and then it's not a matter of are you in God's presence or are you not. It's varying degrees, uh, and um, because in the burning bush experience, God spoke to Moses out of the burning bush, but now Moses said, Lord, He says, show me Your glory, show me Your presence, and uh, He's up on the mountain. Uh, He's aware of God's presence around him, but God, I don't want to just feel. I don't want to just send. God, I want to see. Um, and God says, all right, Moses. He says, stand in the cleft of the rock over here. He says, I will pass by you. And he says, I'll shield your face. He says, while I'm walking past, but when I've gone past, he says, I'll take my hand away, and you can see uh, the back part of me as I'm walking past. And so Moses has had an incredible close relationship with God and their varying degrees of seeing God and sensing God and, and, uh, and um, knowing that God was near. And, and I think that's something that we ought to practice more uh, and learn to live in God's presence and not be tourists there. Next point there, and we haven't gone very far yet because I felt... Uh, as I said, we mightn't get to the end of this outline here. We'll just go as far until God says, you know, stop right there, and then we'll see how we move on from there. But God's presence overshadowed Jesus when he was on Mount of Transfiguration. He was up on a mountain. Bible scholars refer to it as the Mount of Transfiguration because Jesus was transfigured before their very eyes. His face shone like that of an angel. And uh, Peter, James, and John were with him. And as they're up there... The Bible says a cloud overshadowed them. It was a bright cloud, but it wasn't just a, a rain cloud. This is the cloud of the glory of the Lord. The Bible speaks of the glory cloud. In the Old Testament, it was called the Shekinah glory. And suddenly they're up there, and, and, and that cloud overshadows them. God is, 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 as it were, in that cloud. And, and uh, the Bible tells us that, that God the Father spoke out of that cloud, and he says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And while they're up there, they're having the supernatural experience of having physically hearing, literally hearing the voice of God rather than, you know, hearing it in our spirit as we do, you know, on a day-to-day basis. They heard the voice of God out of the cloud. Then they saw Jesus being transfigured before their very eyes that like, you know, his spirit shone through and it almost like his body almost like became transparent. You know, it was like Moses when he came down from the mountain, the Bible says that he he was in the presence of God, and his face shone to such an extent it shone because the glory of God had rubbed off on him so much that the Bible says the people were afraid, so they had to flip down. So Moses got himself a, a veil, and he flipped it down over his face because he couldn't be amongst the people because they are terrified. Here's a guy walking around whose face shines like that. Of, just an amazing experience. So while they're up there, um, here's Jesus Peter, James, and John. Bible says Moses appeared to them, and Elijah began to talk with them, and uh, they had a supernatural experience that so impacted their lives. And friends, when we have a supernatural experience in the presence of God, uh, it's profound. Uh, it marks our lives. Sometimes God redirects us, like we go in this direction. God said. Mm. You know, do a turn and we go in this direction. Or, or sometimes we go, we go in the right direction, but we're going too slow. One supernatural experience, and it speeds us up. 
all right? Sometimes we move forward and, and we're not quite sure where, what the future was going to look like and all the detail, and we get one experience in the presence of God, and it brings such clarity. Uh, we're moving further and deeper into the presence of God. Somebody says, how do we draw near to God? What does that look like? What do I need to do? Uh, well, it's probably things that we, you're already doing, but let me just uh, consciously point to some of these things to encourage you in this area. Uh, the first point there, and there's four listed down. The first one is seeking God concerning His will for our lives. You know, God has a, a will for each and every one of our lives, and it is a, there is a general will, uh, that's revealed in the Word of God, that God wants us to live holy lives. God wants us to be born again. He wants us to, you know, join a local church. He wants us to be discipled. He wants us to serve, and He wants us to reach out. There's a general will of God, but then there's the specific will of God. And that specific will uh, of God is revealed for our lives um, as we seek God. You know, seeking God is probably a bit of an unusual term. It's not something um, that we use in our everyday language, uh, you know, somebody might walk around and say, I'm seeking my wife. Where is she gone? You know, I'm seeking my husband. Well, we're talking about seeking God and coming into his presence and say, God, what is your will for my life? And, and God will respond to that. Uh, then secondly, prayer and fasting. And these things are linked together and they, they are intertwined. Prayer and fasting. Um, and depending on how far we get, I'll talk about these points individually a bit further. And then we're talking the third area there is feasting on God's Word. Feasting on the Word, the revelation that I have received by reading the Word. You know, we, we get revelation when we pray, but then we get revelation reading the Word. And, and sometimes we don't get a revelation when we pray, but the next time we open the Bible is a revelation there. And one day I got to Acts chapter 20, and there's one specific verse of Scripture that stood out to me, and I suddenly knew what God had called me to do. Uh, and that Scripture, was like, it was like a, a, a word for, for, for me. Uh, in that moment, that God impressed that upon my heart, and it, and it ministered an understanding to me of what I was called to do to a certain extent, a broad outline, but to a certain extent, and it ministered tremendous confidence that what I had felt and sensed in my spirit already where God was leading me, it was like, oh, okay, that's what that, that will look like. So, so we're feasting on God's Word. And then, of course, fourth point, if you're committing to serve God in, in a ministry, you know, we somehow, you know, there's the step that we make. Uh, at a certain point, just attendance of church is no longer sufficient. At a certain point, we step out and say, I want to do something. Uh, can somebody please help me to find a place where I can serve, where I can, where I can uh, be involved in a ministry? I want to get hands-on experience. I need to do something. And uh, we do that out of gratitude for what God's done for us. Because God has done amazing things, and out of that, you know, we don't serve God to be saved. We serve God because we are saved. You see, there's a huge difference between those two. Let me speak to you about seeking God's will for our lives. Uh, first area there that we've mentioned. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find Him. If you seek Him uh, with Him... If, let me start again. If you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. There's a verse of scripture here where God speaks about seeking God and we will find him if, if there's an if, there's a condition attached to that. It says if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. You know, I've discovered over the years, if I seek God half-heartedly, I don't find him. 
<laughs> okay. If I pray to God and pass, oh God, just let me know what to do over here and carry on. It's like, you know, half-heartedness doesn't work. In this area, there is no shortcuts. Uh, and uh, terrible that I should even say that, but uh, sometimes life can get so busy. And it's like, okay, we need to now stop. We need to go after God now. You know, in the Old Testament, they talked about inquiring of the Lord. They would stop everything and they would inquire of the Lord. Uh, more often than not, you know, kings... Um, kings and people will come to the prophet and they would inquire of the Lord and the prophet give them the word and then they go away and they knew what to do. But you know, nowadays, Jesus Christ is our prophet in that sense. And we don't go to a man now and say, can you please prophesy over me so I know what to do? You see, our lives are not led by prophecy. Uh, we're led by the Spirit of God who lives within us. But when we come into the presence of God and God begins to reveal to us uh, His plan and His will for our lives, uh, uh, it means that aimlessly wandering around uh, is then in the past. And because Proverbs tells us that, uh, you know, without a vision, God's people perish that we know, we're clear. So this is what God wants me to do. And by the way, God doesn't change his mind every five minutes. You know, you follow some people's lives, like God gives them a different task, you know, um, a different place every day, just about. You know, God's not doesn't bounce around like that. Uh, people do, but God is actually quite steadfast uh, in the way that he directs us. Psalm 14, verse 2, God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there is anyone who understands, who seek God. So it's like God is looking, where is there somebody that seeks after me? God is impressed when we begin seeking after him. And God likes that. As I say, we've, we've already got that deal going on where God generally draws everybody by his spirit. But when we respond to that drawing, God likes that. Uh, and then he comes near and he begins to fellowship with us. And sometimes it's just God just wants to be there. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes it's been said uh, that sometimes, you know, when we're talking about seeking God, we seek the face of God more than what we seek the hand of God. You know, the <laughs> seeking the face means that God speak to me, instruct me, rather than God, I need your hand to move in this area, in that area, to bring provision, to bring healing, and all of these other things. Both are fine, but when we're talking about seeking God, we are seeking His face. The psalmist said here in verse 27, verse 7, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. So there is a response here in the psalmist. I believe it was David. And he says, Lord, he says, I, I cry to you with my voice. He says, and, and, and then, Lord, when you said, seek my face, then I told my heart. I says, okay, it's time to seek God's face. And that's exactly what David did. Um, David was an, a, a tremendous individual uh, in the sense that he was anointed uh, in a number of areas. He was anointed to be king. He became king of Israel uh, in the end, but because prior to that, he had a, an anointing for various functions and tasks. But David also had a, a, a sort of a, a, like a, an anointing in the area of priesthood, though he wasn't part of the priesthood. It was like a dual function in his life that he knew how to put on the ephod, that priestly, that priestly um, uh, 
uh, you know, piece of clothing and come into the presence of God and hear from God uh, and so forth. And he says, Lord, when you said, seek my face, then my heart, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. And friend, let me tell you that anybody that's ever done anything great for God has been somebody that had learned how to seek the face of God. We can all get busy with various things around us. And there are many things going on and many good works that we can do, and it's right and good and proper. But to really drill down into the specific will of God, we need to press into uh, the will of God. Now, I just want to give you a couple more scriptures, and then we'll, we'll wind down. And uh, the second area is prayer and fasting. I spoke about prayer and fasting, was it a couple of weeks ago? Um, and thank you for all of you that have responded uh, to join me on, on our Friday fasts, what we call Friday fast, uh, because on Friday, uh, some of us have committed to fast until dinner time. So we fast breakfast and lunch, uh, and then have dinner unless God leads you to fast beyond that. Uh, it's quite a, a straightforward, it's quite a, a, a re relatively easy deal to do. And if you haven't yet jumped on board, I'd encourage you to jump on board because we believe in God uh, together. You see, fasting intensifies the effects of our prayers. Uh, somehow when we fast, and you know there's also a practical deal built, built in, um, you know, all the time that's used up in food preparation or in sitting down and eating, we can actually devote to spending that in the presence of God. Now, of course, that will work uh, unless, you know, unless you are, you know, in the household with a lot of kids around. If you're fasting, the kids still eat. All right. So, uh, but as I said, that practical sense of I'm not having to cook this now, so I'll spend that time in, in the presence of God. I'll spend that time in the Word. Um, it, that is a good thing to do. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, uh, Lucius of Cyrene, Manon, who had been uh, brought up uh, with Herod, the, te the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul, for the work that I have called them to. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and they sent them away. Now here is a group of ministers, elders, that had gotten together for a time of fasting and praying. The Bible says that they ministered to the Lord. Uh, it does not specify what that was, but I would like to suggest to you that they were worshiping God in His presence. They were loving on God. They were ministering to the Lord, rather than saying, God, here we got some needs. Can you come and minister to us? They said, No, we're here to minister to the Lord. All right, so they ministered to the Lord, and in that moment, the Bible says, The Holy Spirit said, Separate to me, Paul, uh, Barnabas, and Saul, for the work that I've called them. Now, we don't know how God spoke, it could have quite possibly been through, you know, through a, a word of prophecy or a word of knowledge there. Somebody saying, Look, I really believe that the Lord is saying this. Separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them to. And as they called these two guys out, the Bible says that having fasted and prayed, um, it says here that they laid their hands on them and then sent them away. Um, this became the launching point of two mega ministries, uh, one bigger than the other. And the one, of course, uh, the bigger one was Apostle Paul. He was launched in a time of fasting and praying and being in the presence of God. Um, 
It's interesting if you follow that through, and this is just as an aside, but when, you know, Barnabas was quite a prominent member in the church uh, at Jerusalem, and Barn uh, Paul was, was not known in that place, but when he came and he joined in after he got born again, it says when the two of them went out, it says Barnabas and Paul did this and did that. And then it says Barnabas and Paul did that and did this. And then it says Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas. So there was a switching where Paul came into the prime of his calling, of his, of his ministry, and he just took off. And today uh, we can accredit, uh, uh, you know, a third to half of the New Testament to the writings of Paul, uh, the revelation that he received that he wrote down for us and all the planning of the churches and everything else. Just an amazing guy. That ministry was born out of a time of fasting and praying and spending time in the presence of God. Friend, time in the presence of God is never wasted. Time in the presence of God is never futile. It's amazing things what happen in the presence of God. Can I just encourage you with some practical things? You know, I'm conscious that sometimes, you know, when we start our services and we are talking about having the presence of God in the house, it can I encourage you to come early. There's something about being early and engaging and coming in. The Bible says, enter his presence with thanksgiving. Come into his courts with praise. Uh, and when we're coming in, we're coming into the presence of God. God begins to move in that environment. Uh, but as I say, for me personally, and this might work different for you, but for me personally, when I go to a meeting somewhere and I'm late, I'm disoriented the moment I arrive. And it takes me, and sometimes I never fully catch up with what's going on because, because uh, you know, because of, of what it is. Uh, and then I'm trying to connect into this still. I'm trying to hear from God, and I'm trying to figure out where we're going and so forth and, and so forth. So, so being laid hinders us from properly moving into the presence of God. Um, and uh, so just turn to the person next to you and say, the pastor is speaking about himself. Just tell him, the pastor is speaking about himself, all right? You work it out for you, but I'm just speaking about me. But I'm encouraging you, come early. Come with an expectation that you will enter in. The tragedy is this, that many Christians come to church, but not all Christians enter in. There's so many people that stay in the, you know, in the, using Old Testament language. They're staying in the outer court. They're fluffing around. They're getting distracted with this. They're getting distracted with that. They go right on in uh, into the presence of God. And that is the place where we hear from God. That is the presence of God where tremendous strength gets downloaded uh, into our lives. And God strengthens us. He fills us with his spirit. And then when we're in this place, uh, we, 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 we lay a hold of the presence of God consciously. And we take the presence of God with us when we walk out the door. Thanks for watching Victory Christian Center. For more content, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Or you can subscribe to our podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, or Google Podcasts. Check out our website at victory.net.nz. We'll see you again soon.